Don't miss the latest stories and analysis about the future of education from the ReLearning Project. Sign up for the weekly newsletter at chronicle.com slash relearning. Hello, and welcome to the Chronicle of Higher Education's ReLearning Podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Jeff Young. Free online courses changed the life of one super smart Mongolian teenager. His name is Batushig Mayangambayar, and four years ago, while he was still a high school student in Ulaanbaatar, he took a massive open online course from MIT. It was one of the first they had ever offered on circuits and electronics, and he was one of about 140,000 people to take it. But he not only passed, he was one of about 300 who got a perfect score. And he was only 15 years old. He was hailed in the New York Times and other media outlets as a boy wonder. And soon he got accepted to the real MIT campus. It was a feel-good story that matched the hopeful narrative about MOOCs at the time. These free courses were touted as a way to bring top education to underserved communities around the world. This was the peak of the MOOC hype. Today, Batushig remains a fan of MOOCs, but he also has a critique of this knowledge giveaway, and he questions how much good it's really doing for people in the developing world. By after taking MOOC, what do you do? Like, if you're just learning for the sake of the learning, the knowledge alone is useless without the opportunity to build or show or to use it. I sat down with Batushig recently at MIT at a lounge in Building 10 at the heart of campus. He's now a junior majoring in computer science and electrical engineering. And though he misses his family back in Mongolia, he says this college experience has lived up to all of his hopes about it. And perhaps more than most students, that early work with a MOOC has made him hungry to experience all the unique aspects of a campus that you can't get by sitting in a computer at home. Um, and I always tried to go to an office hours that the professor sailed because um, it's one of the disadvantages of the MOOC. Like, you learn about things, but your questions, it's really hard to get a good answer. And after coming to MIT, the biggest learning I learned was, as a one person, no matter how good you are, you can do nothing. Like, you need a team, or you need a group of people in order to really build the complex and amazing thing. Just by yourself, sitting in your room and reading a book, nothing will happen. Like, no matter how, you, how good you are, like, unless you're Albert Einstein or unless you're a great uh, <laughs> theoretical mathematician, something might happen. Sure. But even for those people, by discovering a really nice theory, without the engineers, nothing will happen. So <laughs> you need a team. And I think, I think that's the, one of the biggest learn, lessons that I learned at MIT. While at MIT, he's also continued to take free online courses on the side to help him with research projects that he's worked on here. He's focused on trying to solve real-world problems with his student research. He helped build an electronic glove for the blind, for instance. And that's his main problem with how colleges have handled MOOCs. The courses aren't really an end, after all. They're a means to an end. So why don't colleges do more to help connect students with resources to apply their knowledge, he asks. By after taking MOOC, what do you do? Like, if you're just learning for the sake of the learning, it's really hard to see a benefit from it in your everyday life. But if you're learning to build something, mm-hmm. then that's where exactly the exact innovation happens. That's where exactly the power of knowledge comes in. But if you don't have any resources for it, it's kind of useless. Um, so after spending three years at MIT, I learned about the power of building. Mm-hmm. And that power is not existing in the developing countries. And I think at the peak of the MOOC, everyone was excited about the opportunity to learn more. 
um, that's like an amazing thing. It's the same as you're provided the free book and you can just read it like in a lot of times. You can just read it in like read real interesting book and you can read the next interesting book and you can read the next interesting book. But if you're spending all of your time reading those books, sitting inside your room, you have your other life, right? You get distracted by it and you go out to in a street and you realize like, oh, I can use my knowledge from those books to transform this. But as soon as you start doing it, you face the problem of real world because on those books, no one teaches you how to solve that. And that itself will discourage just the underprivileged people from taking a MOOC. The reason is like they'd be like, oh, it's useless. Like, I read a lot of books, then, but I, in order to transform the things, I don't know how. And what's the point of like, reading more books now? On the other side, the underprivileged people, the learning more is almost, almost like a punishment because it reminds you more about the resource restrictions. He suggests that colleges or other institutions should build maker spaces in Mongolia or other developing countries to help students put their knowledge into practice. I wondered how the folks at MIT would respond to that critique. So I recently asked MIT's president, Raphael Reif, and he essentially agreed with Batushik's concerns. And he says that was something he had thought of from the beginning. What if a student in a far-flung land takes a MOOC but has no job opportunities to apply the skills, he asks. To address that concern, he says that MIT's created an entrepreneurship MOOC, and his hope is that students can learn to make up their own job. What we can do, he told me, is, quote, help the people who are learning with us learn how to think differently. Batushik has another concern about how the MOOCs are going. He worries that some for-profit providers are beginning to water down their course material in hopes of reaching a broader audience. What really matters for me is the difficulty of the courses. Because in order to have more people, some of the courses are decreasing the difficulty of the content itself. And I think that's a really bad thing. Because the, not, the high quality of the knowledge, like places of MIT, it really boils down into a difficulty and the complexity of the problems and the like how challenging the courses are. And that's how, like, where the high quality of the knowledge comes in. And that's what can make a difference for the people who learn it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it, it, it teaches you the potentials of solving a problem. But just for the sake of having more people, if you make it easier, yeah. then there's no You're point little... for online education. Like, I, I'm really concerned about that trend. After he graduates, Batushig plans to go to grad school, though he isn't sure where. He expects he'll continue taking free online courses throughout his life, wherever that takes him. A lot of people think that the more advanced degree you have, the less you need to learn more. But I think that's the opposite. Because if you know more, then there's a lot more things to explore. Because now, like, the knowledge builds up. If you know how to add to things, then you learn how to multiply two things. If you know how to multiply two things, then you can talk about how to divide two things because it's inverse of the multiplication. So uh, by learning more advanced advanced things, now I'm able to take like data science classes, uh, quantum computer classes and like linear algebra classes with no problem. And before in Mongolia, I was just able to take basic like intro to electrical engineering classes and the quantum computing was just my dream. But right now I can just like take it and be able to grasp the material and be to do able to do something useful with it. Do you think you'll go back to Mongolia eventually from after your studies? Um, 
not like that because Mongolia doesn't have enough infrastructure to use my knowledge as efficiently as the United States. So what I'm thinking is I'm just encouraging the other students to learn more about Mongolia and to think more about the Mongolian problems such that we can design something to contribute back to my society. Online education has clearly changed this student's life, but he knows he's an outlier. His story has given him a platform, though, and he remains active in things like a Facebook group for MOOC takers in Mongolia. And earlier this year, he even gave a short talk at the World Bank at a forum on the Open Learning Campus Project. He says he even got to sit down privately with the head of the World Bank to share his concerns. This MOOC student has plenty to teach about how to use tech to meaningfully expand education. This has been the ReLearning Podcast. It's part of the Chronicle of Higher Education's coverage of innovation at colleges. And you can read our articles at chronicle.com relearning. You can also find a link there to a video of Patushig addressing the World Bank. If you like this podcast and want to support the show, take a moment to give it a rating on iTunes. To share your thoughts about the future of free online courses, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash relearningproject, or you can talk to us on Twitter at relearningedu. Today's show was produced by me, Jeff Young. Our theme music was by Jason Cadell. We'll be back next week with more stories about the new learning landscape.